All right, good morning, everybody. How you doing? All right, excited to be here. What, what I'm learning about uh, Washington, different from California, is uh, when it's really, really bright and sunny and the sun's out and there's not a cloud in the sky, on Sunday morning, everybody's out enjoying the sun. And when it's raining, everyone comes to hopefully enjoy us, you know, and me and what we're doing here. Whereas in California, when it was raining and cloudy, people wake up, look out the side and go, nope, windows closed, go back to bed. But, um, but I, I love that you guys are all here today and I love that I get to see you guys each week. Um, before we dive into um, the message, we talked about this at the, we had a, a short meeting after service uh, last week, it's, and we ratified the board members, and th- they were all ratified, and it was real exciting. We also talked about some new stuff going on here at the church, and I wanted to show a picture real quick of something that's coming that I'm really, really excited about. So we have a new church sign coming out by the driveway, and this is what it's going to look like. And so um, first off, thank you to everyone who uh, calls this place their home and, and who gives and we're able to do things in the schools and communities as well as do some fun things on campus. So um, thank you guys so much for what you do and I'm excited that hopefully by the end of uh, this month, this will be at the, the driveways we come in. So thank you guys all very much for what we're doing here in um, just sprucing up the campus and letting the community as they drive by know that uh, we value this place, we value them, and we do things with excellence around here. So thank you so much for being a part of this with me. Um, Now, turn your Bibles to Psalm chapter 133. Sometimes I say Psalm 133, and then people go to chapter 1. But no, Psalms 133 as we get ready to dive in today. Now, um, we're going to continue and and bring our uh, gathering, why why we gather service or a series to a close. And and I'll admit, this this one in particular had me stirring a little bit as I was putting it together. Um, talking about unity because I, I feel so strongly about the church being united. We prayed about this at our worship night. And uh, I know that when I, when I give my sermons, I, I do like to, to tell jokes and have fun and share some stuff with my family. And I'll do a little bit of that today. But I, I love to smile. I love to laugh. I, I love to just have a real good time. Well, a lot of today um, probably won't deliver that aspect of it. And there, there'll be some of it. And it's, it's kind of weird for me to say that because I like to have fun. But, but this really hit me as I was uh, preparing it and talking about how we can be united as uh, followers of God in a church community. So, so just a, a precursor today that um, I found myself getting very emotional when I, was, when I was talking to this and God really challenging me in a bunch of areas personally. Like I said, we prayed about this on Thursday and, and I'll echo what, what Jamie said. Wow, Thursday was awesome. Thursday was so fun. Thank you to everyone who came to be a part of that. I mean, we, we worshiped, we prayed, we cried, we laughed, we, we shared communion with each other. And it was, it was powerful for me when at one point in the night, we just had like an open prayer time where people could go seek each other out and pray. And as I looked out, I just saw pockets of people huddled in prayer, including our youth. Our youth joined us. And I looked over and saw pockets of youth praying for each other. They, they dominated this whole section over here, and it was so fun to see. And so I was, I was still, I was riding that spiritual high all weekend. It was really, really fun to be a part of what we're doing. So, so thank you uh, to everyone who came to that, and I look forward to doing more of those in the future. Now, looking at our Gather series, one of our prayer points was praying for unity. And today we're going to talk about gathering for unity. Unity is something that is so needed amongst the world, especially now. Uh, we're going to talk about how we gather for unity here in the church and how that relays us as we go out into the world, especially a world right now that is really divided. Because as a church and as a nation, we battle division. We battle a whole lot of division. Not just talking about mathematical division, like real serious division. It's hard to think of something that we need more desperately in our culture right now than unity. 
whether it's with politics, whether it's with racial issues, with COVID, typically everywhere you look, it feels like everyone has their own opinion on the way things should be, the way things need to be, the, their way is the right way, and then we have the government saying one thing and people saying no, and then some people saying yes, and it's what happened is we see more now than ever a huge disunity amongst the nation. And unfortunately, when you, when you look at churches today, we even see a lot of disunity in the church. Now, hopefully, a lot of things are going to be um, coming to a close when it comes to uh, some of the disunity things I'll talk about. Like, for example, we're seeing that the, the, hopefully what's going to be the end of COVID with things opening up in the near future, um, hopefully as early as next month, a lot of restrictions being lifted. And I know a lot of us can look and go, yes, it's been so long. And we're just waiting for that moment where we get to lift these restrictions, right? But unfortunately, some of these things, it doesn't feel like are all going to end when that ends. For example, political disunity and division racial disunity and division. Some of those things are still going to be there. And some of them may even be intensified as we see different things opening up. Some things will be forever changed when we open back up, but I know that the general routine of life is something that so many people have told me, I just can't wait till we can blank, right? And you probably all have, you know, what's coming to your mind right away when you think that. I just can't wait till I can blank. I know that movie theaters are opening up and I am so excited to get back to a movie theater. I haven't seen a movie in a long time, and that's something that I know my family and I love to go do. So that's, for me, it's like, I can't wait. It, it sounds kind of petty, right? But I can't wait till I can just go, let's go to a movie. And there's no worries, right? You just get to go and enjoy a movie, and I'm looking forward to that. But other things, again, not so much. I use social media a lot. Um, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook. We, the church uses Instagram and Facebook. And something that I see that honestly pains me, like this, this really does a number on me, is when I see someone say their opinion on social media and someone else shares their opinion. Now I say share opinion lightly because you probably all know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you can just grab the popcorn bucket and you're in for the comments, right? To see what people are gonna say. But man, it turns into a bloodbath of people disagreeing with each other and, and just tearing each other apart for what they believe versus what someone else believes. People can go crazy with it, right? Now, it seems more and more people every day really get obsessed with proving that they are right and the other person's viewpoint is wrong. And this isn't just about any one person in general. This is just a general statement. But what tears me up is when I see two people who I know love Jesus. I know it. I know you. I know you love Jesus. I know you. I know you love Jesus but their comments at each other online do not show that. And it's just, it's brutal for me. Like, it really tears me up because I'm thinking, I think, who is winning right now? This is not the kingdom of God winning this conversation. And it really, really does a number on me. And something that drives me nuts with it is I see division. Division drives me nuts. Not just Common Core Aurora's homework division. That drives me nuts too. I don't get new math. But division amongst the church, division amongst Christ followers hurts. It really, really does a number in my heart. And today we're going to continue to talk about the important part of why we gather and how we gather for unity. Because believe it or not, the church can be a place where unity, harmony, and togetherness all flourish. Church can be a place where unity, harmony, and togetherness all flourish. The truth is when we all come together and we are in the name of Jesus, Anything is possible. Luke 127 says that, or 137 says that. Through Jesus, all things are possible. Unity despite differences. And since we're like a family, and I talked about this a little bit in the previous weeks, we're like a family, and family gets what? What was the M word I used? Family gets messy. Family gets really messy. A church can be a place full of diversity, full of differences, 
And church can be messy, but not just messy. It can be a place where unity, harmony, and togetherness totally flourish. We have lots of differences that can cause disunity, create an emotional nuke if it's not handled correctly, right? But church can also be exactly the opposite, a place where you experience the most fulfilling, not just experience, but the most fulfilling thing ever because you know you're coming together with people all for the sake of glorifying Jesus. And when we do that with each other, it's like nothing else. It really is like nothing else. So let me start by, by asking, asking this. As a church, what are some things, let's think about them, what are some things we have in common when we come together as a church? What do we have unity in? We have unity in our faith. We're here because we, we believe and trust in Jesus. We have unity in our desire to share the, the mission of the gospel with others. That was one of the things I talked about when I was going over our, our vision with Gather, Grow, and Go. We have unity in our desire to go and share who Jesus is with others. We have unity in our Christ-like love for the world. This is what we're here for. We are here to show the love of Jesus to the world. And we have unity in hope because ultimately scripture says our hope is in Jesus. Now these are just a few things that come to mind and I'm sure that you can think of other things when you think of the church. What do we have in common? What are we united in? This list can get bigger and bigger. Now some of the things I talked about um, on the first week, the benefits of gathering, we also have unity in the way we do fellowship, the way we come together and we can teach each other, the way we have communion, the way we have prayer. These are all amazing things we have in common. Above and beyond all the things that can make us different, we can come under these common grounds together and get unified. But there's something even greater than anything on this list. Something even greater, and the answer is a simple one name. Jesus. I know, it's, it's, it is the Sunday school answer, right? Nine times out of ten, if someone asks a question in church, you just go, Jesus, nailed it, Right? That is the answer. I remember when I was a children's pastor, uh, there was one Sunday where I talked about Paul, one of his missions. I purposefully didn't say Jesus just so the next Sunday I could tell a kid he was wrong. It was, it was mean but funny at the same time. It's like, I did it. Jesus was the wrong answer to that question. But nine times out of 10, right? 99 times out of 100 even, you say Jesus, that is the right answer in church. And we are united under Jesus. Matthew 18, 20 says this, for where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Think about that when it comes together, when we get to come together for Jesus, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am with them. When we gather and unify ourselves under the name of Jesus, it's not just us gathering, he gathers. It's not just, just two or three or more people come together saying this is why we're here. When we do that, Jesus comes to meet us in that place. I love that. If that's not a good enough reason to pursue unity, I don't know what is to know that he is right there with you through all of it. And think about this. It doesn't take the full auditorium of people. It doesn't take a room packed out with hundreds and hundreds of people to say God is here with us. It says, just get a couple people together under my name, and I'm there. It can happen when just two or more people gather over coffee. If you like coffee, I think it's nasty, but if you like coffee, Jesus will meet you under coffee. Over a Zoom call. Jesus transcends technological barriers. He can be with you and your friends on a Zoom call, at a meal, at a home together, in a small group here on Sunday. When we come, we have so many opportunities to gather under unity and know that we are in and experiencing the presence of Jesus. And it all happens in his name. Not our name, but his name. And that just means when I say under his name, that means we are gathering under the authority and under the direction and sovereignty of Jesus, which ultimately is what we want, to come, we want when we come together, right? To unify under his direction. We unify ourselves in Christ, and when we do it, amazingly, we get him. 
We get him. He's here with us. Harmony or unity among people. This is a blessing to the Father. In Psalm 133, if you turn there, it says this, starting in verse 1. It says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. It's like fine oil on the head, running down on the beard, running down Aaron's beard, over the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon falling on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has bestowed the blessing of life forevermore. I love this, how it speaks about unity and how pleasant it is to God. For all the parents in the room, how great is it when you have your kids and they are playing well together? It's the greatest thing, right? Because we all know the opposite, right? You know, things break, emotions fly, injuries can happen, or even, you know, parents can yell things and cause emotional injuries <laughs> to the kids because we see disunity amongst the kids, right? But, you know, those days where you look outside or you go to a kid's room and you just see the kids or you hear them playing. I love it when, when I'm at home doing something and I just hear Aurora and Avery's laughter, they're just playing, and I love it when I'm doing something, and they will come in, and they'll be like, Daddy, Daddy, check this out, and they'll do something ridiculous that's cute. It may look like it's going to cause an injury, but it's really, really cute that they're doing, you know, and, and they just laugh so hard, and they just want to share it with, with me and Stephanie, and it is so amazing, right? But then there's the opposite. When I'm there, and I hear, Sissy, stop it. Leave me alone. No! It's like, oh, gosh. I can just feel like the, here, here we go. Here we go. Who's going to come crying first? What's going to happen? What toy were they fighting over? Who was grabbing? I mean, that, that, that's what can drive parents nuts, right? When you're not even in the area, but you can just hear the madness happening. And it's not happy madness. It's mad madness, right? That can cause something so crazy emotionally with parents. But it's awesome to see them being loving to each other. To see them unified together in whatever activity they're doing. Would it be any different, do you think, the way God looks down on us? When he looks on us and he says, hey, I see my people and I see the love and the joy and what they're doing together. When they come together, I can imagine how happy he is because I know how happy I am when I see my kids doing it. I can only imagine how filled God is when he says, these are my people and look what they're doing. But then the opposite going through his mind when he sees us not unified and us berating and battling each other and, and not forgiving each other and all this stuff happens. I can only imagine where he's going like, guys, we're on the same team. What's going on? I like to imagine God smiling down on us and being happy with what we're doing because he's proud of the way we show love to each other. In Psalm 133, we get to see him say how wonderful unity is. And it says that God bestows or commands his blessing over people when they live together in unity. I love that. It's not, it, it doesn't say when you live together in unity, God may bless you. It says God commands his blessing over his people when they live together in unity. It says, where brethren dwell together in unity, the Lord commands the blessing. Man, man, all we can do is ask and beg and see if God will give it to us. And when we're in love and peace and living in unity with another, God commands that we get it. I love that. <clears throat> well, there's a, a quote by Matthew Henry. It says, where brethren dwell together in unity, the Lord commands the blessing. God commands the blessing. Man can but beg a blessing. Believers that live in love and peace shall have the God of love and peace with them now, and they shall shortly be with him forever. In the world of endless love and peace, may all who love the Lord forbear and forgive one another as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven them. Matthew Henry was a um, theologian and preacher, but I love how he kind of emphasizes the forgiveness and the love that comes with unity under God. <clears throat> Christ is present, I strongly believe, in the place of unity. And all things considered, this sounds like the place I want to be. 
You go to a place and you know that everyone's there for one purpose, the banner of Jesus, building each other up, all the things we've talked about in this series about why we gather, to know when that is being executed perfectly, that sounds like an amazing place and a place that I, I look forward to being. A world that has caused so much division, so much politics, so much lifestyle change, we need unity more than ever. We need to gather for unity, especially when we feel divided. Gather for unity when we feel divided. So what should we do when we aren't feeling unified with other believers, right? I guess that, that's kind of the question. Like, so what if you go to church or you, or you, you, there's a small group and you, you feel disunity in there? What do you do? How do you respond when you feel this, this in, your, in your heart or in your soul that there's something not right that's keeping you from gathering together in a good way? How do we get back to that place where we feel like God is commanding his blessing upon us? These are important, difficult questions. And, and honestly, if you've been in church long enough, uh, you know, if, if you've grown up in church, maybe you've even left churches or church shop because you felt a place so out of sync. So something was, was so disconnected and you felt disunified for one reason or another. Now, I believe in that quote from Matthew Henry. He says something important. He says, may all who love the Lord forbear and forgive one another as God for Christ's sake has forgiven them. <clears throat> Henry knew something about being divided and he knew that one of the most powerful things we can do when we're feeling disunity, when we're feeling conflicted with someone or something or some place, one of the best things we can do is seek forgiveness. Not just seek it, but receive it and offer it. Unity requires forgiveness. If someone hurts you or wrongs you, and I guarantee you, if you've been in church long enough, it's happened in the church. Someone's hurt you. Someone said something that rubbed you the wrong way. And not just rubbed you the wrong way, sometimes someone can say something or do something in church that really just hits you hard. But I think forgiveness is an amazing tool that we have. If someone hurts you or wrongs you, someone may be coming to your mind right now as I talk about it, consider what would it take to forgive that person? What would it take to forgive that person? And then consider this, what cost is it to you if you don't? What cost is it emotionally to you if you decide I'm not gonna forgive that person? What ultimately benefits you in the long run, right? Is their offense worth losing unity, losing harmony, losing sleep and letting that be a command over your life? What if your issue isn't an offense and forgiveness? What if you simply disagree with something in the church? You disagree with something that, that the leadership is doing or that the pastor is doing. I would say, you know what? One of the best ways to get reunified with the church is not to, not to go out and start causing more disunity. Because if you feel disunified and you start spreading that out, it's just going to cause disunity, right? I think we've all seen that where one person can take something and then blow it up instead of going to the source. So I would say, man, if there's something that's causing disunity, seek out the person. Talk to them about it. Get on the same page. That's something we all get to do because we know Jesus is our ultimate captain of this ship, right? We get to go to the captain. We get to talk to the people that, that he's put in the places of leadership and hash it out in a loving way where we get to get on the same page with where we're going as a church. I would say set up a time to talk, ask questions, seek clarity, and then ultimately release it and let it go. Paul says this in Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. <clears throat> live at peace with everyone. Now, living at peace, have you guys ever tried to live without peace? Seriously, like, I know this is going to be peaceful if I, if I do this, so I'm not going to do it. It's a weird thought, right? Purposefully not living at peace, because ultimately when there's conflict, we want conflict to end. I don't, I don't know very many people personally who want conflict, and I know there are some people out there who thrive on it, but someone who just wants to be at odds with everyone, it, it doesn't make sense to me. Now, I do remember there was a time, um, about to get real with you guys, 
there was a time where I had someone um, in my life who was extremely close to me. Someone that I considered like a brother to me. He was, he was at my house. I was at his house. We watched his kids. He watched our kids. We were extremely close. And I'll spare um, some of the details, but it, it turned out he was not such a good friend. It turned out he was not such a good friend. Um, over the time, I uh, became privy and brought into some conversations and emails and text messages and things that were happening that were very slandering towards me. Very slandering towards me. And there were lies, there was manipulation, all to elevate him and push me down. And then I found that some of that spread into my family, the lies and the texting manipulation. And sure enough, my family didn't even see it at first. We didn't see it at first, but we started having disunity at home over this one person. And then things came to light, and it hurt so bad when I saw the things that were said. The, the, the way things came out. And like I said, you, you've gotten to know me these past four months. I love people. I love to be around people. And when I know someone has an issue with me, I want to figure out what that issue is and, and let's work with it because I'm probably not the problem. You are. Let's figure this out, right? But with this person, there was so much lying and so much backstabbing, so much manipulation and so much slander. Again, not just to me, but to others in my family. That we, we were literally getting pitted against each other. It was hard. Ultimately, there was a confrontation where this person then removed himself from the equation. And it took some members of our family even to say, we are removing you from this part of the conversation. And there were times where my prayers were not nice towards this person. <laughs> Full honesty, it was, you know, it says God says pray for your enemies. It's like, well, God, it's not saying pray a blessing on my enemies, right? Because this guy, I don't want to pray for his blessing. I want to pray that he disappears. God had to do a number on my heart. God had to really do a number on my heart because not only was this person doing things that were hurtful for me, but that was causing a deep-rooted bitterness in my heart that was causing a change in my heart that was not good. I was seeing disunity, and I was allowing that disunity to really affect me where I had to get to the point where I had to say, you know what, God? I have to learn to forgive this person. I have to forgive this person even if I never talk to them again. Even if they really are removed, I can't let this hang over me because it is affecting too much in my life. It's affecting too many of my relationships. And when the name would get brought up, I could feel just the anger and angst. Even now as I talk about it, there's still a little bit of like, man, that, it's still pretty fresh the way that it happened. But I had to learn to forget. Unity doesn't mean uniformity, but it does mean that we're together under Jesus. And Jesus says we need to forgive and we need to live at peace. I had to live to forgive and move on. Unity shows that under Christ there's forgiveness. If we can't forgive, we can't unify. If we can't forgive, we can't unify. So, so I know that that's a struggle I'm working on, something I'm working through. Today, think of someone in your life, you know, who's, who's someone that you need to forgive? Who, who's someone that maybe you're looking at and you go, man, when I, even just the thought of that person's name just causes the blood start to boil. I'm sure we all have someone that fits that. What would it take to say, God, I don't want my blood to boil anymore? Let me forgive and move on so it doesn't affect the unity I'm experiencing when I get together with my fellow believers and my fellow Christ followers. <clears throat> Interestingly enough, peace, harmony, unity, and division and community were just as important 2,000 years ago as they were today. I can't think of a New Testament book that doesn't deal with, in some fashion, division in our relationship with God and with each other and Christ's followers. Unity and harmony, these are worthy pursuits. These are things we need to go after. It's an important lesson to remember what Paul said in Ephesians 4. He says this, 
As a prisoner in the Lord, then, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, and with diligence to preserve the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope, were you then called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Unity is really God's best for us. It really is God's best when we come together under him. And when we gather together, being unified in Christ, it transcends our personal feelings because our personal feelings are blown away when we experience the love of God overwhelm those feelings. And that comes when we're unified together. Seeing, we see, university, or we see uh, unity amongst diversity all the way back, if you go back to Jesus choosing the disciples, we see an incredibly diverse group of men. And I mean incredibly diverse group of guys. This was a ragtag group of ordinary people. There was not a Bible scholar, a theologically speaking sharp mind. This was not like the guys you see in the stained glass windows like, oh, look at that. This was not who Jesus chose. He chose, he chose some rough guys to come with him. <clears throat> they didn't talk in God tones, use Christianese language. These were rank and file guys trying to raise their family, trying to get by in life, who had an opportunity to go. What, what really stood them out above others is they had the courage to say, I'm going to stop this to pursue you because I see something here and I believe in who you are. Now, when he chose disciples, Jesus chooses diverse disciples. I'm going to give you a flyby of some of these disciples so you can see just how different this group of, these group of guys were when they came. So we have Peter and John. Jesus molded them into church leaders. But Peter, before he was a church leader, this man was impulsive impetuous. He had a strong sense of bravado. He would rather draw his sword and swing than he would talk it out. Maybe some of you were like, yes, Peter's my man. He let the fists and the swords fly before the words would go. John was competitive. John liked to win. We see this. I, I love in the book of John, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Yeah, talk, talk about I'm the best, right? And even in John 24, when they're running to the tomb to see Jesus fully resurrected, it says this, John the author here, they both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Trash talk, yeah, right? John knows. He's the best. He likes to tell everybody about it. Thomas and Nathaniel and Philip, different temperament. Thomas was rational and pragmatic. He had an emotional temperature that ran really, really cool. He was data-oriented. He wanted to see the facts, hence the I'll believe it when I see it talk. <clears throat> Nathaniel was more emotional and excitable. He responds to Jesus in John 2 with excitement. He sees him coming, and he can't contain himself. Philip was like, kind of like a buzzkill. He was a pessimist. He was always asking the what questions. Is really? Is this really how it's going to work? Matthew and Simon. It's Matthew and Simon, man, we have the equivalent, really, of a left-winger and a right-winger, both coming together to follow Jesus. Matthew worked for the government. He worked for an oppressive government, part of a group called the Herodians. They were in support of King Herod's rule in Galilee. They were basically calm, cool, collected in dealings, but they were liars, cheaters, would steal and manipulate, and the people of the land did not like them. But Matthew, who was one of them, was called to be a disciple. Then we have Simon. He was a zealot, part of a fierce, loyal group of Jewish patriots determined to end Jewish rule. This is like people that run around like, America! There's Simon. And you have him and the opposite political spectrum under one banner following Jesus. James and John, the sons of thunder, they were ready to call down fire and destroy a village that didn't respond to the message of Jesus. The epitome of the Turner Burn preachers, right? 
They were ambitious. They argued over who would be Jesus' top power broker. Who's going to be right there? Me, you know, James or John? In the place of power, who's more favored? And then we have Matthew and Judas. Matthew, skilled in mathematics, tax collecting. We have Judas, has no known real qualification to handle money, but yet he becomes the CFO. And he even is pilfering and stealing from the money that the disciples are gathering in when, when people would tithe. <clears throat> Jesus didn't use a copy machine when it came to choosing his disciples. He didn't say, this is the model person that will follow me and let's replicate it 12 times. I got my group. He chose 12 incredibly diverse people and he took those people and unified them under one mission. That's an incredible story when you look at their backgrounds. God didn't do that then. He doesn't do that now. He doesn't say, this is my cookie cutter person. This is my cookie cutter churchgoer. This is what they will say. This is what they will do. This is how they are. He takes all of us, our backgrounds, our families, every one of us is different. And we all go through different stuff. And he says, you guys are the church. You get to come together. You get to change the world with your diversity because you're unified under Jesus. <clears throat> when the disciples start to argue at one point about unity and love, not really understanding what's going on, Jesus prays that they would be protected, that they would learn to love, they would learn to be unified. They're arguing about who's the greatest in John 13. And what does Jesus do? He dons a towel, puts on the clothes of a servant, and washes their feet. He shows them that he's there with them, that he's going to be a servant leader. It's not about being powerful in your, in your diversity. It's about being unified in your diversity. He finishes the statement, John 13, and I, I've used this verse for a few weeks now, but I think it is one of the most powerful things we can understand. John 13, 34 to 35, love one another just as I have loved you. You love one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. I think the litmus test for unity really is diversity. Love in the midst of our flaws, love in the midst of our failures, love in the midst of our faults, because those will come. Those will happen no matter where we go. But the key is, how are we going to respond? When all those things come to our life, how will we respond? Before we're able to reach out, make sure we are united within. If we fast forward 25 years from that moment, Paul writes uh, a verse we read in Ephesians, where the, when we read in Ephesians, where he calls for humbleness, gentleness, and unity. I love that Jesus models it, and Paul maintains it. Jesus models it, Paul maintains it, and calls for us to maintain it as well. The key point here is that we are called to maintain what God has established. We are called to maintain what God has established, to go after it, to keep at it, to live in unity, not with all of those that we like, not with all those that we, we maybe want to, but we're called to. Verse 4 talks about being one body. We're all in this together. And notice the way it's done. When we get together, it's done with humbleness. It's done with gentleness. It's done with patience. It's done with bearing one another. When you read that, man, this is us together. And this is a beautiful thing. Maintaining unity is really about how are you living? How are you living? If you're, if you're going to be able to, to live the way God has, has put on your heart, to, to follow the commands and, and the things he set and said, hey, this is the model I gave for you. If you're following that, that's going to directly relate to are you able to bring unity into a situation? Are we living towards God's spirit or are we living for our own personal desires? That's going to determine what happens with unity in us and with those around us. See, unity has nothing to do with uniformity. I've said that a couple times, but I think it's real important. Unity is not uniformity in saying the same thing, walking the same way, dressing the same way, talking the same talks, using cookie-cutter Christianity, right? Because we're all different. 
We're not robots. We all have unique personalities. We all bring something else to the table. And that's something I love about church. That's something I love about small groups. When you get people you've never met come to your small group, you get to experience a whole new group of people that you, they all bring something different. And it is so beautiful coming together for one purpose. Now hear me, I'm, I'm not saying that in this place right here, in this room, we have a lack of unity. I'm not trying to call you guys out in any way, shape, or form saying you guys are so disunified. This is about like the, the capital C, the church. My, my vision and goal for the church in general um, is something that we want to see and I want to see, unity. In a divisive season, I think it's good to speak about it. I think one of the worst things we can do is just ignore something and say, maybe it'll just go away. Let's talk about it. Let's bring things to the forefront and let's get on the same page with it. Uh, to gather in unity. To gather in unity means living for one, and that's Jesus. To gather in unity means living for one, and that's Jesus. Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. Love that. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns every people. You know what does not exalt a nation? A political party, a political system, any one politician, any one economic philosophy, any brilliant constitution or new amendment, that does not exalt a nation. Righteousness exalts a nation. I think those are all important pieces. I'm not saying downplay any of those things I just said because they all are a part of governing a nation, right? But what ultimately exalts a nation is righteousness. Righteousness, righteous people that exalt a righteous God. Unity is found in the righteous one, and that's Jesus. While he calls us to unity, he knows that we sin in our fallen world. I mean, Romans says that we have all sinned and fallen short. Jesus knows that we mess up which is why he sent, which is why God sent Jesus in the first place, right? He knows that unity doesn't always happen. There's, there's a truth in this tension, right? We want to be unified, but there's differences, and they drive us together, and we, we have our political beliefs, and we have political convictions that drive a lot of what we say and do, but ultimately, that's got to take second place to godly convictions. It's got to take second place to what God is saying, what God is saying, and leading you to do <coughs> with and through each other. I love that if you, if you look at scripture, we see that Jesus, the prince of peace, he didn't come to bring peace to the world. He came to bring the world peace. He didn't come to bring peace to the world. He came to bring the world peace. There's a difference there. Matthew 10, 34 to 36 says this. Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set men against his father, daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. What Jesus is saying is when he comes, he knows there is division. He knows that as he comes, simply saying his name is going to cause people to say no and back off. It happened to him. Don't think it won't happen to you. It happened to Jesus when he was here. People pushed him away. People attacked him. They ultimately put him on the cross. He knew that when he was coming, there was going to cause disunity. But ultimately in that, it says Jesus came as the one who is peace. He came to bring peace to people who are imprisoned by the disunity, imprisoned by the conflict. People that are saying, I don't know how to get out of this sin that is causing so much heartbreak in my home. Jesus says, I'm going to bring you peace. He didn't show up and create world peace, but he said, I'm going to create peace in you. In your heart, as you follow me, you can reach peace. Not on your own, but through him, through his life, through his values. If we want to grow in unity, that means we have to be giving in. To grow in unity means giving in. Um, there's a passage in Genesis 13 where Abraham and his uh, cousin Lot are sharing some land. Some of you may know this story. And there, there's a little bit of, you know, scuffling and fighting. Whose sheep are going to get what land? And... 
Abram looks at Lot and he says this. He says, okay, enough of this. Let's separate. Look out. Take whatever land you want, Lot. Look out. Whatever you want, you can have it. And Lot ultimately chose the better land. Abram could have said, you know what? Come here. Let's duke this out. Loser leaves. Right? Let's fight. Me versus you. My sheep versus your sheep. Winner take all. But he doesn't do that. What he does is he says, all right, I know I want this. I know my sheep want that but I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to take a step back and say, what do you want? The great principle we learn from this when it comes to unity is that relationships are more important than the fight. Relationships are more important than the fight, the real estate, or the possessions. Isn't that true today, though? I mean, so many times we have, we have to win, right? We have to be right. I know I'm, I'm guilty of when, when you start arguing or debating, I, I feel it's like, well, I got to win. I got to win. I got to get my point across in a way that, that makes you be quiet because I win. Um, not really in a mean way. I just, I like to win. But um, in areas of life, we all go through this. Um, but, you know, my ego's at stake if I lose, right? What are people going to say? What are my kids going to say if they see me lose this argument, right? Oh, man, dad can't be a loser at home. No way. I can lose if my kids aren't present, just not when they're looking at me because I'm Superman in front of my kids' faces. But what's at stake? What's more at stake, your ego or the relationship? <clears throat> Psalm 141.3 says this. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Abraham, God's chosen man, doesn't pull rank. He doesn't say, hey, I'm going to be the father of faith. I'm the one God's given these promises to. Who do you think you are? He takes a step back. He values the relationship over the argument. <clears throat> Today, there are so many areas that are important, but to lose friends over them, to lose a relationship, I don't think that's God's way. That's not promoting unity in the church, especially when it's amongst all of us in the church. Proverbs 18.2 says, fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to hear their own opinions. Man, think of reading that verse after saying what I just said about myself, wanting to see myself win. Yeah, I don't want to be the fool. Abraham was blessed beyond measure when he decided to put the relationship and unity over his personal desire and opinions. In this season, it means refusing to get hung up on trivial disagreements. Don't get so hung up on your political differences or particular philosophies. Those who enjoy Christ's following fellowship with each other, let that be what unifies you. Not the opinions that ultimately don't matter in your relationship. Don't confuse trivial and temporal with the eternal things that Jesus offers us. <clears throat> to gather and grow in unity also means looking up. I love that when we talk about wanting to be unified under Jesus, we get to look up. And we were, it was modeled by Jesus. When he would go out, he would consistently look up to his dad. He'd look up to his father all the time and pray. Pray for his disciples. Pray for him. Pray for the world. We have a great example of Jesus always looking up to his father. We see Jesus living his destiny as he looks up. And Jesus says our destiny is to be with him through this. So to live our destiny, and that means giving, giving ourselves up. I say looking up, look up at Jesus. Look up at him before looking at ourselves, knowing that his way is the best way. And it'll give us uh, a lot of security, honestly, when, when, you, when you get to that point where you say, I'm living my life, I'm doing my best, but ultimately it is following Jesus and he's first. There's such a relief of choices, such a relief of stress because you know that you're not striving for yourself. You're doing your best and following what God has put out for you. And it's always better than the plan we have. This is what happened with Abraham. He said, Lord, I trust you. You've given me the future of being the father of faith. I look to you. And through that, 
God helped him cherish the relationship instead of the land. And lastly today, to gather and grow in unity means giving out. Means giving out. Our love is visible and tangible to the world, right? That's what Jesus said. He said it's time for show and tell, right? You know, everyone in school has show and tell. The kids bring something. Jesus' ultimate show and tell for us is his word, his love, his actions. He says, guys, it's time to go show and tell. And I love that it's not just go tell, right? We say, just, just go tell people. We get to show it. We get to live it. It's like the, the coach in sports that does the activity with you, that works with you. Jesus is right there working with you, and we get to show people what he's doing in our lives. They won't know we're Christians by winning arguments. They won't know we're Christians just because we put it on a t-shirt. They won't know if we're putting down and blasting politicians on Facebook or in, in personal life conversations. That's not going to show people the ultimate love of God. We need to show them the fruits of the Spirit. Show the love of Jesus in conversations. Give that love out. The church as we know it is changing, right? Numerous studies over the, the years show that uh, there's been a huge decrease in people who identify themselves as Christian. But you know what the studies showed? It wasn't because of something that the church was doing from the stage. It was something that people were doing when they were out of the church. The way people would, would see people interact with each other. And I think, man, what an amazing opportunity we have to re, refocus, to reestablish who we are. Not just in this place, but in our community, right? We get to go out and say, you know what? I'm going to value our relationship with my community. I'm going to value Puyallup more than I value my political opinions. I'm going to value the people here because that's what they're worthy of. We get to walk down the street, and I said this at prayer night, we get to walk down the street and say, God, do a work in my heart first. And when I see someone who I really don't like, someone who, man, that person pushes my buttons, instead of seeing someone you don't like first, the first thing that goes through your mind when you see them is, that's a child of God. That's someone who God created. That's someone who God loves. That's someone who Jesus died for right there. And that's the first thing we see when we see people we don't agree with. Because ultimately, if we see them with those eyes, we will then see a relationship instead of an opportunity to prove something. Let's be united under the banner of Jesus. I'd like to invite the worship team back up as we come to a close this morning. But I, I can't overstate how important it is that we continue to gather together. And we've, we've got to talk about encouragement, rhythm, strength, and unity. But the truth is, there are so many more reasons why we gather. Now, if you remember all the way back to the very first week, we talked about solitary confinement. You guys remember that? We talked about how solitary confinement in prison, that's, that's something they'll do in prison to punish somebody, or it's something we'll even do uh, to, <laughs> to children, right? You, they, they do something wrong. Like, oh, go sit in the corner by yourself. Go to your room by yourself. But solitary confinement is something that is you know, frowned upon and looked down at. I don't want to be someone who lives in solitary confinement. I don't want to be a church that thrives on groups of solitary confinement. I want to be a church that celebrates unity together, strength, encouragement, growth. And this is what we get to do together. We get to party together. And I love it. I don't want to be, I don't want to do what comes as a result of solitary confinement. The reports say that people in a con, sorry, uh, segregated communities, segregated communities is kind of a fun phrase, right? Solitary confinement, they suffer from anxiety, panic, insomnia, paranoia, aggression, and depression. Is it any coincidence then that, man, if we start to isolate, that's where we see an increase in problems? The, the antidote for that, it's togetherness. It's unity, community, and fellowship under Jesus. Are these things difficult? Yeah. Yeah, they are. Like I said, people are messy. 
People are like stubborn oxes, as we talked about last week. But ultimately, when we work these out together under the banner of Jesus, it's good. What can we do today to take a step towards unity? How can you help someone today? How can we today come together and just be united under the banner of Jesus? Would you all stand with me? Matthew 22, 1 through 14 talks about people being at a table with Jesus. I think for us, as we go out now, I think the question is, how many people can we get to the table? Despite where they're coming from, despite where they've been, despite who they are, who can we bring to the table? Who can we say, I value you more than anything else you may say, believe, or do? I value you because Jesus values you. Maybe you've been at the table for a really long time. And today's a good day to get up and say, you know what? I'm going to call someone. I'm going to text them. I'm going to say, hey, come to my table. Come see what we do because we're united because of Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you that in you and through you, we are united, God. And I pray for more unity um, in this place, in the church as a whole, in the world, that we come together under your banner. We see people as you see them, as people you love and people you died for. And we're able to say, you know what? I value our relationship so much, I'm going to put all other thoughts aside to focus on showing you the love that God has shown me. So God, I pray for unity. I pray that we are unified and not divided in this season. And we do amazing things through you and in you. In Jesus' name, amen.